Want to drive greater success in social commerce? With Deloitte's latest creator economy research, you can. After surveying over 500 creators and 500 brands, our insights are helping CMOs and marketing teams harness the power of content creators. And not only that, but how to do it well. See for yourself by visiting cmo.deloitte.com today. What's the first brand you remember in your life having an impact on you? Probably it was automotive. You know, my parents were big fans of Volvos when I was growing up. And, and my dad, I remember at one point he, got a, he had a Saab. And we were very, you know, I, I was very excited by these, these, you know, weird Swedish brands that, you know, not everybody had. And, and they were different, you know, and Saab in particular was just kind of a quirky, always was a quirky brand. But, I, you know, I remember having, I still to this day have kind of an affinity for Saabs. I, I, I owned a few and they've all let me down and broken my heart, uh, you know, but... Uh, but well, I've been uh, Alfa Romeo talk about letting well, you down. Well, there you go. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it, and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands, are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. Today, my guest on the CMO podcast is Adam Petrick. Adam is the global director of brand and marketing at Puma. Puma is an old brand, like 71 years old, founded in Germany in 1948. And this is one of the hottest brands in the world right now. It is on a tear. But it hasn't always been that way. And what's really great about this podcast is Adam has been at Puma 20 years. He's now the head of marketing. He talks about the lessons in turning around this brand and accelerating it into a lifestyle brand. And we talk about the key role of hundreds of ambassadors who helped Adam and his team form the vision for the brand. Here is my conversation with Adam Petrick. So most people probably know that you are running a really hot brand with your team in Puma, but I'm not sure they know how hot. I just want to reel okay. off a few stats here. Right. Stock price up about 80% this year, revenue up significantly, a price earnings ratio of 46, which is sick. Mm-hmm. I mean, P&G is like 20, mm-hmm. okay? And you're number six on Fortune's Fab 40 sports brands. Yeah, which is new. For yeah, us. new yeah, and above Under Armour, yeah. you know? Yeah. So I just want to say congrats, and I can't wait to talk to you about how that's happened, because okay. it happens with leadership and courage. Time. And time. <laughs> Focus. Yeah. So we're going to unpack all that later. So I want to go back to your college days, and you were a theater arts major at Penn, yeah. correct? Yeah. I actually went to school to be a psychiatrist. I was going to go into pre-med and I took psychology courses and So how does a 17-year-old kid decide he wants to be a psychiatrist? Uh, I was away from home for the first time and I had too much fun. <laughs> and I, uh, I, I, uh, I, I, I was totally stoked to, to do psychiatry. My mom was a learning therapist and growing up I was around you know, kids that, that needed extra help and I was dead certain that uh, I wanted to be you know, kind of a, a therapeutic force and help people out and, and do that sort of thing. And um, I just, I, I did not enjoy studying for it. That's for, that's for damn sure. And I, uh, I, I had a, I had a great time my freshman year and I ended up with a tough GPA and my parents gave me maybe the best advice that I've ever had, which was please go back to school and try to take some courses that you know you will show up for class for and, uh, you know, pick, pick basically their, their exact words or pick the five easiest courses you can think of. And I thought, you know, hell, I love, I love theater. Uh, I had a passion for it and that best advice I've ever gotten. I was, I, I got super into it, super into the literature, super into the, you know, the theory, you know, took courses in every, every aspect of theater and, uh, ended up with my, my degree in directing and great educational platform for what I do right now. Sure. For sure. So theater arts at Penn yeah. to Puma. Mm. So how did that happen? Nepotism. Uh, <laughs> no, I had a- It I works. A, yeah, I had, a, I had a friend who, uh, she was originally hired to be a marketing manager for Puma, which was a small brand at the time, very small brand back in 1998. And uh, she ended up hiring my former roommate to come on board and build Puma's first e-commerce site. Oh. He moved up to Boston where, where Puma was headquartered or still is. And uh, I stayed in Philly. 
Um, and he left me with a lease. And I think as a, a compensation for that, he gave me a job. And, uh, and so I, I ended up working in Philly, building the first e-commerce site for Puma in 99. And, and that was, I mean, that's a hell of an experience. That was an education right there. I mean, nobody, it was Wild West. The e-commerce business was sitting within marketing at the time. And, um, you know, nobody knew what this thing was going to do or it's what it was going to be. kind of advanced thinking that it's most, it mostly started in sales in most companies. Yeah. And, and, and we put it in marketing, I think, because really nobody else wanted it. And I think it was, it was like, you know, how are hard we going right? to figure this out? Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, we had to learn everything from, I mean, I didn't even own a computer. I, I, I got a computer. I started to learn a little bit about coding, but that, you know, that wasn't even it. It was more about like warehousing and, and customer service and EDI and, you know, all the intricacies of actually trying to figure out how to deliver product to somebody at a distance, which wasn't really commonplace at the time. And, you know, now I think we've, you know, we've cracked that code, I suppose, but uh, more or less, but, um, you know, back then it was, nobody had the answers, you know, and, and everybody could kind of make it up as we went along. So you've been 20 years at the same company, yeah. which is really unusual in the absolute, especially mm. unusual in your kind of business. Yeah. And, and maybe for my age even, I think. Yeah, that, you know, absolutely. My, my parents, so my... I guess the big question is why? Mm. And I, yeah. have you been tempted to yeah, leave? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, many times. I think I, I've seen a lot at Puma. We've had ups and downs. You know, we had a, we had a really strong early 2000s, um, where, where we, we, we had an amazing rise. I think for a period of time we were growing, you know, but, but probably pre-iPhone, I think we were growing faster than Apple. Uh, and, you know, we had, we had a lot of success in, in the style space. Um, I had an amazing boss and, and he had an amazing boss and the CEO at the time. And they were really visionary in terms of seeing sneakers as a fashion accessory. And, and, and Puma really kind of pioneered the space of collaborations and you know, we, we, it was an exciting time. Um, but then, you know, that, that changes and things happen and, you know, and then you sort of say, Hmm, maybe this isn't the best place for me to be. And, but what's happened to me over the years and, you know, sure, there's been two or three times I've thought about leaving, but something always changes, something different happens, you know, it, it happens right at the right instant to make me stay, you know, and, and this last time I was, I was, you know, pretty sure I was going to leave. And then we, you know, got a new CEO and, reinvigorated the company and we've been on this growth trajectory mm -hmm. for the last five or six years. So it's, it's been a really, really interesting time and a, and a, and a great, a great experience to be there. So how many pairs of Puma shoes do you own now? I, I, I actually have, I do purges on a fairly regular basis. I give a lot of Pumas away. Uh, I give, I, it's funny, like for, there was a period of time when I had, uh, I was living, you know, still in downtown Boston and, and I had so many shoes and a, a lot storage of friends. locker were, for your shoes? Well, I had a lot of friends who were also the same size as me. So they would come over and I would give them shoes. I'd be like, here, I just wore these once, you know, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, how, know how kosher that is, but, uh, yeah, you know, I ended up giving, a lot, giving away a lot of shoes and still do. And, and now I'm, uh, yeah, I, I've, I try to keep it together because it's, it can get out of control fast. So you have a favorite pair? Or memories or yeah i i do actually and it's not something that we still manufacture it's a it's a model called the top winner and the only reason i i have a particular affinity for it is because it was one of my one of my first favorite projects working for puma was was working on a project called top winner thrift and and thrift was this concept that we had where we were we, we actually manufactured and i use air quotes there manufactured the uppers out of um recycled apparel so we went to thrift stores and we bought all this crazy product with all these, you know, great materials, whether it was, you know, tweeds or wools or cottons or whatever. And then we, we actually shipped all the, all the thrift store shopping over to our, our sample factories in Taiwan. And I flew over to Taiwan. It was actually my first time traveling to the, the Far East. And we made these great shoes, um, you know, really simple, really simple style. It was a, it was a very basic uh, tennis trainer and just easy to wear, very comfortable. And I, I just have a strong emotional connection to that style just for that reason. It's a great concept. Yeah. It was, I guess, innovative at the time. I yeah. mean, we, we, the, the packaging for it was remarkable because we, we actually took pictures of all the product uh, that we bought. And then we included in the individual shoe boxes, the photos of the, you know, the jackets or the shirts or the ties yeah. or the things yeah. that went into Story, the product. Yeah. yeah. So in your time at Puma, the nearly 20 years, who's been the most influential leader on your career? Uh, you know, without trying to sound like a brown nose or my current boss, uh, I, I've, I would say that I've had the good fortune of having remarkable bosses 
all along. Um, you know, my current boss is probably the, the person who's taught me the most about pragmatic running of, of, a, of a team and a business and, and really being successful, I'd say. But my, my former boss taught me a lot about emotion and having passion and, and being, you know, connected and, and, you know, having the right spirit and, and leading the team in the right way. Um, you know, but, uh, really, really two remarkable human beings. Um, but I'd say that, you know, it, probably my current boss is, has had the most impact on where I'm at with my career and what I've had the chance to learn. How and often do. do you see him? Oh, we talk ex, all the time. He's an ex-football player, right? Yes, he is. Yeah. yeah. We talk all the time, but, um, you know, yeah, we see each other six, eight times a year, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, but it's, there's a lot of video conferences and phone calls and texting at, uh, you know, odd hours for sure. So we're very connected. I mean, it's a very, it's a very small company when it comes down to it mm -hmm. from a leadership standpoint. We're, we're a very tight knit group of people. And I'd say that that's something that he's fostered where, you know, you just pick up the phone. If there's a problem, you don't write an email. You're not trying to call people out. You're not trying to you know, get something on record with your colleague over sure. in the other department that you, you have a rivalry with. I mean, it's, it's totally not like that. I would say that, that we, we've, we've all, you know, it, it, I think one of the secrets to our success right now is the fact that most of the leadership team is consistent over the last five or six years. And, and so we've all gotten to know each other really well. And, and I'd say that that is powerful. And, 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 you know, I'd say that that's something that he's fostered. Yeah. On a separate podcast, I talked to Diego Scotti at Verizon, and he okay. talked about how his team and his agency team, mm. and he has a cabinet of agency mm -hmm. people, and they mm -hmm. meet weekly. And he said, I don't, I don't blow through agencies. I believe in relationships yep. and confidence and I trust completely and knowing agree. each other and knowing the people. Yep. And he said, that's one reason Verizon has become much more creative, much mm. more uh, successful. Trust. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I completely agree. We've had, we've had some very specific agency relationships that I can think of that, that go, you know, 10, 15 years. And that's when, that's when powerful stuff emerges, you know, and, and you really get to know each other and, and you kind of develop a shorthand of working together. And, you know, we don't, we don't actually work with very many agencies at Puma. We have a lot of internal people that generate ideas and a lot of internal people that, that do productions mm -hmm. and, execute a lot of our stuff, but, uh, you know, the agencies that we do work, we like to have really close relationships with. And I would say that that's, that's definitely the case with our current, our current group of friends, let's call them. So you're kind of being humble. You talk about yourself being a very small team and a small brand, but I just want to, I talked at the beginning <laughs> of this podcast about some of your results lately, okay. but you have done what few have done, right? You have kept a 71 year old brand mm. relevant. Now I know there's been ups and downs in yes. history, but it's highly relevant today. You've accelerated its growth. You've made it a real lifestyle brand. There's no doubt about that. You've attracted amazing talent mm -hmm. with people like Jay-Z, Cara, Develine, Selena Gomez, mm -hmm. Rihanna, all while competing with Adidas, Adidas, mm -hmm. and Nike. Yeah. So I want you to sort of, if you can, get a, get a bit up on your sure. soapbox and, and share with our <laughs> listeners- I don't know about a soapbox. What, what's your playbook been? What have your principles okay. been? What can we learn yeah. from what you've done to give this brand, I mean, incredible energy, relevance, kind of magnetism, mm -hmm. and growth? I think that where we're at right now, and obviously this is, you know, here I am saying this in, in 2019, and I'll, we'll see what happens in 10 years, right? But, For any business, but, right? But, but I'd say where we are right now is an interesting moment because- we had a we had an opportunity when the company was in really bad shape. I mean, we were not doing well. We were we were we were stagnating. How many years ago was that? Twenty thirteen. Mm -hmm. uh, we were we were pretty much stalled out. I'd say as a brand, and 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 we were we were struggling in a lot of areas. And and um, we had a moment when very very quickly, fire drill style, we said we've got to kind of reinvent this brand. We got to reinvigorate this brand. And and we took a set of very very simple basic first principles. A lot of this stuff comes, you know, straight from the CEO because he was the outsider walking and he was, he's obviously an industry insider, you know, spent a so lot he was of time, new at the time the CEO. brand new at the time, but he said, you know, here's the things that I like about Puma as an outsider. You know, you got great logos, great history, great people, great, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. all this great stuff. We're a sports brand. So let's, let's start with that. So take all that and, you know, develop a brand concept that reflects all that 
uh, and put it into perspective, you know, for, for where we want to go next. And, and what an amazing challenge and an opportunity because, you know, for, especially for somebody who'd been there, I mean, first of all, like, okay, he didn't, you know, fire me and <laughs> yeah. send me on my way and bring somebody else in, which is, which There's is nice. And I'll that, take right? an appreciation of team. that. But, uh, I had the, you know, I had the opportunity to take what I had learned from the previous 13 plus 14 years about being into fashion, into style, into culture, into, you know, connections with consumers in, in very different ways from being a sports brand. And then to blend that with the longer term arc of the Puma brand, which is, you know, going back 71 years now as a sports brand that competed in, you know, providing elite athletes with the gear that they need to perform at their very best. Everybody from Maradona to Pele to uh, Martina Navratilova and Becker and, uh, you know, this amazing history of incredible athletes up to Usain Bolt and, and, you know, the modern, the modern Puma that we have, which is a mix of, you know, F1. And, and at the time we were doing some sailing stuff, I mean, all these, these weird mm -hmm. categories that we were associated with in sports and, and, and competition. And so to, to take the opportunity, you know, to say, yeah, you know, we're not, doing so well right now, but this latest, let's say 15 year cycle of the brand wasn't a mistake. It was, it was an opportunity that the brand had shifted gears and gone from being a sports brand to being a culture fashion brand, let's call it streetwear brand, and then to try and marry those two. And that, that was very special. I think we had the opportunity to, to really bring something together that was saying, you know, yes, we're a performance brand. Yes, we're based in innovation. Yes, we're based in servicing athletes. Yes, this is this is the heart and soul of what we do, but we do it in a way that's different from our competition because we know that ultimately there's, there's a handful of things that are really, truly passion points for consumers, you know, and I'd say sports is certainly one of them, um, you know, but, but music and fashion and art and creativity and, you know, and then, and then connections, uh, you know, the, 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 the mobile phone, you know, the, these, these are the things that I think people really, really care about. And we had the opportunity to say, okay, let's start from sports. Let's go through creativity and, and you know, fashion, art, and culture. And let's, and let's talk about communications and, and even activism or, or, you know, doing the right thing and communicating in the right way and, and build a brand out of that. And that, that's where our mantra, Forever Faster, comes from. Uh, this idea that we always want to be better tomorrow. We always want to do the, the best possible thing we can do. And we know that you will never get to perfection. It's never going to happen. That's okay for us. You know, we, 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 we just always want to try and strive to do better tomorrow than we, than we did yesterday. And it's a, great, it's a great place to be as a sports brand, for sure. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. When did you know you were starting to sort of turn the corner? You're going back to 2013 when you sort of regrouped with the yeah. new CEO. When did you yeah. start to say, you know, we're kind of getting it? We're we, getting... Got, we, had some, we had some luck, I would say, in convincing some really influential people to pay attention to us. And I think part of it had to do with the idea that Puma's a brand that, at least as long as I've been there, you know, nobody hates Puma. People, you know, can can sort of feel negatively about market leaders and and, and giant brands. And for whatever reason, Puma's had a very, very slim number of you know, haters, true haters. And, and so. And your awareness is high, right? Awareness is extremely high. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, we have the best logo in sports. Yeah. We are a, a leaping cat in, you know, stretched in the moment of what you might call, you know, athletic stimulation. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's a great logo. It's the best possible logo. Everybody knows it. Everybody recognizes it. My, you know, my, my kids who are probably not the best focus group, but I mean, like from, you know, age one, they're like, Puma, Puma. You know, they, they know the logo. Everybody knows the logo. Everybody loves the brand. And, and, and so, you know, when, when you have that kind of heritage, people will, I don't, know, I don't want to say line up, but, you know, there are people who were willing to take a risk and say, you know what, I think I could do something with that brand. And Rihanna was the first, I would say, to, to, as, a, as an individual to really take a, take a risk on us. And it wasn't, I wouldn't say that 
signing Rihanna was the turning point. But I would definitely say that the process of getting to have the conversation about whether somebody like that would work with Puma was the turning point. There's a, there's a guy who's been extremely influential to the, to the success of Puma, in, at least in the world of culture and, and streetwear, a guy by the name of Emory Jones. And, and he was really the one who's sort of working behind the scenes to get Rihanna to consider Puma. And I think the, you know, giving her the, the, the idea that, you know, this is a brand that you could really have a huge impact on. And, and, and I came into the conversation and said, look, what do you want to do? You know, it's, it, it's, we're open to anything. We have nothing to lose, frankly. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that was, you know, getting to that conversation. And, and like I said, not necessarily the, the day that you sign it or the day that you announce the deal. It, it's, it's not so much that. It's, it's the idea that we can sit down at a table and have a meaningful conversation about what we could do with the brand. You know, and when somebody like that is willing to, to, to have that conversation, that's a turning point. If you, you think, I mean, you, you, for your size, you're punching probably above your weight in the sort of people you're attracting. Do you think I, it's that yeah. spirit of collaboration it's and openness and listening? I'd say that our philosophy, and this is very, very, very strongly held by me personally. I mean, we don't, I don't think we necessarily are the ones to actually make our brand. Our consumers make our brand. And by extension, as the people kind of in the middle of that, all of our ambassadors make our brand. We choose ambassadors, whether they are athletes or whether they are artists, whether they are entertainers or spokespeople. We choose people based on who they are and a values alignment. If they if they fit, if they make sense, then 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 it's probably going to work. And and ideally, it's going to work organically and authentically. If we go out and we sign somebody with you know who's got I don't know the the biggest whatever KPIs in terms of social media, that that's probably not going to work if we just cut a check. Uh, so, you know, I think that, that we've been, we've been very fortunate to have a, a strong sense of who we want to be and, you know, who we want to align to. And we've had good fortune in getting those people to come in our door. And then I do think that it, it matters that we, we truly care, we truly listen, and we truly go way out of our way to do whatever they think they find interesting in our brand is, you know, whatever that, that activity is going to be. Whether it's designing a fashion collection, whether it's you know having a having a show, whether it's mm-hmm. you know putting on an event, whether it's building a retail, whatever it is, I I say no very 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 seldom. It's it's always yes because you know the partners that we work with they're the shapers of culture. They're the ones that actually are meaningful to our consumer. And so if I follow their lead, we probably won't go wrong. Well, it's a big lesson in that, right? You're. Um Seeding control, if you will, you have some to. of the people who also care. Yes. And, and they that's care the about thing. you. If they care and yeah. if, they are, if they are aligned from a values standpoint, that's very, very important. I think that, you know, we kick the tires. We spend some time doing some research and trying to figure out who these people are that we want to work with. And if, if they are aligned from a values standpoint, if we think that we can do the right thing together and we can trust that they're going to want to do the right thing with our brand, then, then why not give them the keys? That's, you know, that's very important to us. And I think the same thing would go for our consumers. You know, I would like to, I would like to think that if the consumer that we're targeting, you know, is responding to our brand in a positive way, sure. You know, absolutely. We, we've just done this program in, in, in basketball, you know, we've, we've entered the basketball category last year and, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, one of the tactics that we've been using is, is giving people who opt in on social particularly on Instagram, but, uh, cause you know, that's the, the, the visual platform, but, uh, if they want to shoot a campaign for Puma, we'll give them a camera and then they can send us the pictures and we'll post them. And what that's done for us is it's allowed our, our audience to say, yep, I'm a part of the creation of this brand. I'm invested in it. Um, I heard a story and I mean, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I heard a story, a store associate, uh, at a footlocker once told me, you know, it's funny. I was in the store and I was, I was helping a customer with a product and one kid turns to the next kid and says, you know, I shot the campaign for Puma, you know, and, and now I'm going to buy the shoes. And it's like, how much better does it yeah, get than yeah, that to right. have somebody feel an ownership of the yeah. brand to the extent that they're now an ambassador of the brand and of themselves and they're, they're passing that, that love on. You know, yeah, and it says now. to them that they're important. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, well, they are. Yeah, I mean, that's, right. Exactly. Uh, that's, but not every company does that. Not every company sends those kind of messages. Well, and, and I, you know, I think that in our industry in particular, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a dynamic place. It's an emotional purchase. You know, you really have to be connected 
to the brand. Um, and I think that it's more important for us than maybe, maybe many others to, to be able to say, yeah, we're open, you know, yeah, we're, we're here for you. And, and we want you to be a part of this thing. And, you know, you can, you can be, you can be an owner of it too. And that's, that's, that's been, I think, a, a secret to success for us. On a, another episode of the podcast, we interviewed the CMO of National Geographic Partners, mm. right? And they have their incredible, they have the biggest brand Instagram following in the world. Yeah. And they have their professional photographers, but they've opened it up to everyone. Mm -hmm. 830,000 people who take pictures for them. It's incredible. Yeah, it is. And that's a, and with the tools that everybody dynamic. has in their yeah, hands now, that's right. I mean, the devices themselves are able to capture so much more. It's, it's, uh, you know, I, I think it, that's, that's a really interesting thought, you know, for how a media company can transition. And I think something that it's something, it's actually something I think about a lot, you know, how do we go into the next phase of whatever that is? Not, not, you know, next year or two years, or five years, but like next 20 years, how do we evolve as a brand? And I think that if, if National Geographic is able to kind of almost crowdsource content, like they are a content company, but, but let's open up the doors to such an extent that we've enabled customers to use their, their own technology to, to contribute. That's, that's powerful stuff. That is super powerful. I mean, we're, we're endeavoring to do that now with some of the ways that we've, you know, gotten behind certain, you know, certain causes or, or, or sort of delved into the activism space. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, when we, when we try and, you know, pay attention, and listen to what's important to the consumer in every possible way, not just about, you know, what sneaker colors sure. you like or whatever. It's, it's not about that. It's about what's important to you in culture and then try and take that on board and reflect it back. That's, that's very, very important, I think, in, in, especially in our industry. Yeah, absolutely. So we talk on this podcast uh, about brand purpose. Mm. So I want to know, what's that mean at Puma? Do you use that language? Do you use mm. a different kind of language? Yeah. I mean, how does it come yeah. to life? Is that an important concept? Yeah, I, uh, it, it is. And I don't know, you know, if I, it's funny because, you know, we, we, we haven't actually met before today, but, but I do think that somewhere in the creation of the brand manual from, you know, from five or six years ago, there was a little bit of you know, Jim Stengel and, and purpose flying around in my head because we, we do have a purpose and we did pick a purpose back in 2013. And, and we said that our purpose was uh, to be a place where everybody who wants to play can play. And that means to me that we are open and we are allowing for everybody who wants to come in and, and take part to do so. Uh, but it also extends into the, the areas of, you know, being uh, supportive of universal equality, you know, and, 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 and really extending our values into places that other companies might not be comfortable going because, you know, you got to pick a side and you know, you're going to alienate somebody, but you know, if I can sort of feel good, I think about the, the way that we extend that purpose into territories that might be a little bit risky, I don't, I don't care. You know, I think that's okay. And I think that, that I've been fortunate and that our CEO has been very supportive of that as well. You know, we go back a long way, I think, as a brand in trying to do the right thing, make you the sure right do. choices. And uh, that's powerful. Those are powerful shoulders to stand on. Yeah. I mean, you are probably one of the original brands associated with activism from the 68 Olympics, right? Yeah. Um, the relationship with Tommy is a very special yeah. one to me in particular, just because, uh, you know, Tommy Smith, who, who you know, for, for, for those who don't know, was the the guy whose picture everybody's seen standing on the, the podium in 68 in that incredibly chaotic environment and raising his fists, uh, you know, alongside of John Carlos, that's, that's a, it's a moment that gives me goosebumps still just thinking about it. And the idea that we can extend that spirit to today and continue to, you know, support an athlete like that in, in a very dark time for him. And he's, he's, he's incredibly passionately supportive of Puma because of, the fact that we stood by him, uh, you know, and obviously I had nothing to do with that. That's not, right. that's not me. Uh, that's the legacy of the company going back a few years. But, um, but to be able to be in a position where that's our history, I mean, come on, it doesn't get any better than that. Yeah, what a great right. place to work. Why would I ever want to go anyplace else? Yeah, you, no, know? Yeah, well, you haven't. <laughs> right. so. so tell me a bit about your work. I mean, you've, you've had like eight jobs at Puma and now you're kind of the head of marketing, yeah. CMO. You yeah. know, your, your title is global director of brand and marketing. What do you do? 
Um, what kind of work? How do you spend your time? I, uh, where, so, where we spend our time is the most important yeah, statement of what's important. It transitions, uh, you know, dependent upon what's going on. But I spend almost all day just talking to my my colleagues. I, I spend a, a, an enormous amount of time. You know, whether it's in, I have a very packed schedule, and it's it is minute to minute. And uh, you know, I I I hustle around the office. I walk very quickly, <laughs> like try to ex- you know take as much advantage of the time that I've got with my with my team as possible. And I just I spend a lot of time talking. Um, it used to be that I spent a lot of time making presentations. Uh, there was a there was a point yeah. when I was kind of more the uh, I would say the strategist guy, and I was actually doing a lot of that stuff. Now I would say that my job is more to inspire and to you know to get people to be thinking in the right way to to sometimes to prevent mistakes you know to 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 try and redirect and um but yeah my day is is you know get up and get the kids out and get in the car and get on the phone do the you know phone calls in the morning on the way in and and you know meetings in the office and video conferences with germany or la or wherever and you know, text messaging probably simultaneously all the time sure. to ambassadors or partners or whatever, and and just a lot of communications. I, I would say that I am a, a a physical communications hub, you know, for what's going on in the brand. What do you feel most proud about in your time at Puma? Um, I think that I am proud that I have been a. I, I would like to think that I've been a good steward for the brand. Yeah, I think that I think that if I could if I could leave whenever that happens, and I could say that you know we've 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 done the right thing for the brand in the time that I've been there. I think I'd be proud of that. Mm-hmm. How about failures? Where do you think you've misstepped? Uh, and what, we, how did I, you, you recover? Know, I would say you must that, have in 20 years made. Oh yeah. Mistakes. <laughs> I certainly did. <laughs> Tons of mistakes. We make mistakes every day. In fact, actually that's a funny little anecdote. I will say that the attitude of my company, our brand is that, you can, we're going to go as fast as we possibly can. We're going to solve problems as fast as we can. We are going to, we are going to light it up and we are going to go after opportunities as fast as we can. And the, the absolute byproduct of that is making mistakes. So there is no shame in making a mistake at Puma. What there is, is shame in not fixing your mistakes. So once you figure out you've made a mistake, fix it. You know, if you haven't solved for a problem that you didn't know existed, well, you can't be held accountable for that. But once you, once you have identified a problem, you better fix it. And, and I think that that's, that's an, a great attitude. You know, we just sort of fly as fast as we can. We do as, as much as we can and be, you know, led by our gut. Um, but yeah, we've made mistakes for sure. We've made mistakes in the way that we've worked with ambassadors and partners. And, you know, I mean, it, 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 it just happens. It's an inevitable, you know, byproduct of the way that we operate. Um, biggest mistake? I, I don't know. I mean, I feel sometimes like, you know, it's, it's more about missed opportunities per se, you know, because I don't, I, I think we've been being slow on something or not yeah, jumping on. Yeah. That. Missed, missed opportunities and yeah. in, in being slow or not getting somebody to, to see things the same way that you see it. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe messing up an opportunity to convince somebody to become a part of the brand or, or, you know, or, or just not necessarily handling something properly. I do think that, you know, by and large, because we're pretty val. I, I say values. That's not exactly the right word, but we're a pretty morally upright company. Mm-hmm. I would like to think. Mm-hmm. I, I think that we have the opportunity to fix a lot of mistakes that we make with partners, whether it's with with retail partners or whether it's with ambassadors or whatever. Good, because right? our yeah, that. and I think that people know that. And I think that 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 is something that I am proud of as well. That I think our intentions are always good. Our, you know, we're not trying to hurt anybody. We're not trying to. Yeah. We make sneakers, you know, I mean, it's not exactly, uh, you know, uh, pharma it's, 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 you know, it's not even automotive you know, there's very, very few risks in, you know, in, in, in making track jackets, but our goal, you know, and our, and our intentions are always positive because we want to move culture forward and we want to push limits and we want to excite people and we want to surprise and delight and all those wonderful, nice words that everybody can agree with. So I think that that gives us a lot of leeway to, to mess up sometimes. That's, and that's okay. Yeah. I think we also don't come into conversations. We, I think we, we tend to come in with an air of humility. I think that's just kind of the vibe of our company. And so we're not standing out here saying we're going to be the biggest and the best and pounding our chest. And I think that, you know, that's, that's makes us maybe a little bit more approachable and a little bit more able to solve problems and rectify things before they get out of control. You know, most brand marketers aspire to build a lifestyle brand. Hmm. And you've got to be one of the world experts in that. <laughs> really? Okay. So, you know, we, I, we've talked about this, I think, but if you could kind of encapsulate it in 
you know, what have been your lessons yeah. in building this lifestyle brand that others could benefit from? I mean, people in CPG are trying to build a lifestyle brand. Yeah. Certainly those in hospitality and so on are, but what, what would you say would be your wisdom and how you've approached it? There's, there's a lot of things that are running through my head right now. And I'm going to start maybe by talking about this idea that the brand itself is is a long term project. It's not. It's never finished. You know. It's never begun. It's. It's just. This, I. I actually made the analogy once to a friend of mine that that Puma, for me personally, is like this this giant enormous sculpture. And every day I come in with my little chisel and my little hammer and I go, you know, here, there, and everywhere, and I try to constantly refine and improve and make it better and make it more reflective of what it is that we want to do as a company. And, and that's, you know, that's a, that's a really long-term view. And you, you have to kind of think about the fact that every choice you make is cumulative and everything that you do reflects, you know, upon everything that's come before. And every touch point that the consumer has is just, you know, one of those billion points of light that are going to make up their perception of your brand. And, and, and that, you know, having that kind of mindset, I think can be daunting at times, I suppose, but it also, you know, it also can help you just really zoom out and say, okay, you know what? So it comes back to the making mistakes sometimes. I think, you know, you can make a mistake, but, you know, in the aggregate, we're still a good solid brand because we care. Um, you know, so, so I think it's, it's becoming a lifestyle brand is about acknowledging that every one of those touch points is important. And fighting and striving to make every one of those touch points as good as it possibly can be. And then I would also say it has to start with a really strong sense of values. You have to know what it is that you, you stand for, why, why you choose to operate in the way that you do. Because if you don't have those values to cling to and, and, and stand on, then, then you know, how do you make choices about about where you're going to go or where the chisel is going to go next. It's, it's that, that I think it relates to purpose in a lot of ways. And again, I'm, I feel like we're fortunate in the fact that we've defined some values and we've kept to them and we've, you know, we've stuck with them over the years. And, you know, it's funny because I, I think back on, you know, the 2013 kind of internal brand revolution and, you know, remaking the Puma brand and the forever faster concept. I think, you know, we almost felt like we were moving very fast and almost, to an extent that it was, it, it I am going to probably regret saying this, but it, you know, it almost felt arbitrary, some of the choices that we were making about the brand. But at this point, it's funny because I can go back and I can look at the brand manual that we've got from 2013 and everything in that brand manual is still 100% applicable. Six years later. Yeah. And, and, and you know, I'm not sure, could we expand on it? Could we refine, could we, whatever, you know, but, but in general, the attitude, the mindset and the heart were still there. And that's, I think that's something that, that I think makes a brand go from being a company or a logo to being a lifestyle because, you know, that, that, that values package, that, that, that proposition of who you are, that personality, that's what makes a lifestyle brand. And if you don't have that, then I think you should start thinking about that and think about, you know, what kind of, okay, a company can make a commodity. It can be a service. It can be a thing, it can be whatever. But if you don't have a reason for why you're doing that and how that connects to, you know, your legacy or your story or the, the you know, the, the, the things that you do, the choices you make every single day, then, then it's not going to be a lifestyle. It's not going to be even really a brand. So that uh, revolution that started in 2013, you talked about your values, you know, the brand personality or voice. You talked about respecting your history. Anything else in that that will be helpful for others to, to learn from? I, I think we, we did definitely focus on product and product creation and understand that you know at that point we absolutely had to start to invest more against technology more against innovation because i think that that was you know again that that sort of came from those values but the product itself you know we we were we were a, a style company, you know, you might even, God, I hate the word, you know, casual company, but sure. that's almost where we were at that point. And, and I think that, you know, we had to go back and revisit what the design aesthetic was, what the, you know, what the ideas were that were behind the product itself. We had a, you know, we had a, I had a great collaborator and our product creative director who, who, you know, worked with us on defining 
the, the principles of, of how Puma would design product. And a lot of it came from this idea that, you know, sports has to be at the center of everything and there has to be, you know, a grounding in, in sports. Now, whether that's sports technology per se or sports culture, that's okay. But, you know, you, you, if, you, if you ground the brand and ground the product in something that is true to the brand, then, you know, you ultimately will, will yield something that I think is, is, you know, probably a little bit more consistent, a little more meaningful over time. So I think that attention to be paid to, you know, the why of the product is probably a piece of advice that Which I would give to, to anybody. your origin, right? Yeah, absolutely. It has to, you know, and I think that it's funny because again, I mean, I just feel so lucky to be working for such a great brand where the story is so strong of our founder and, you know, the connection even to Adidas is, mm-hmm. is great. I mean, what a great story, what a great narrative. And you know, Rudolf Dossler as this guy who believed in the, the, the power of, of, you know, athletes and personalities to connect and what great fertile ground for a brand to draw from in, in terms of determining what its future should look like. And your headquarters are still in Still in Herzogenara. Yeah. Yeah. Right across the street from Adidas. <laughs> it's a pretty, it's a pretty funny it's, little town. It's a town. great brand story. Yeah. Yeah. How do you stay in touch with sports, with culture, mm. with business? Yeah. What are your rituals? What are your habits? What could others learn from you? Um, so I, I definitely think that staying in touch for me is about listening to our ambassadors. We hire ambassadors and partners not only to, in some cases, it's, it's not even to be a representative of the brand. In, 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 in most cases, I would say we really want our ambassadors to be on our team, to be in our family, to inform us. So talking to them and understanding what so they're doing. So how many are there, just roughly? hundreds of athletes and entertainers and, you know, people that we work with on a regular basis. But, but I think that, you know, being able to listen to people who aren't in the offices every day and being able to see what they think is important, see what they respond to in our product, you know, taking cues and clues from that stuff, that's super valuable. That's a point of a, a, a differentiation and a, and a competitive advantage that I think we have that, again, I would, I, you know, I would advise other brands to think about that. Who do you have outside of your organization that's that's telling you the truth about what you're doing and you know helping you so to how figure do you out- as a leader balance your time between talking to your team and talking to these ambassadors, other outsiders? I mean, is it fifty fifty? Is it uh, no, I mean it's probably, you know, we spend a lot of 80, time. 20, yeah, maybe eighty twenty, like something yeah, like that. It's still a lot. It's still a lot. It's a substantial amount of time. Listening to voices outside the company. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, I mean I do what everybody else does, whether it's the the news feeds and the sure. social feeds and all that sort of thing and following trend briefings and whatever, you know, but, but staying in touch. So what are the three really things about, you look at every day? You look at ESPN, um, you look at, I do uh, ESPN New York is, Times, is great. At, Actually. Uh, yeah. So you, you've, you've, you've obviously been looking at my phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have the times app. I have the ESPN app and, and, you know, I don't know, Instagram, I guess, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fashion style section is sure. important. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I honestly, Political news is important. It's it's the bellwether of the you know spirit of the consumer, and you know you, you kind of glean a lot of insights. Where the from, energy is now, yeah, yeah, from the way that people are reacting to the news. You know, what do you do first thing in the morning? First thing in the morning is I I make mapo. <laughs> <It's> the first. <laughs> We haven't had that yet. No, my 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 son. Uh, it, it's this oatmeal like thing yeah. that my yeah my mother in law introduced him to. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. he wants his Maypo every day. So yeah, that's that's actually that was a great ad campaign yes, years ago, even before me. I think <laughs> it goes back away. Yeah. yeah. So how do you stay mentally and physically sharp? Do you exercise? Do you meditate? Do you? I I take run walks. I mean, you uh, run. I run not as much as I would like, but enough. Um, I, I, I stand a lot. I, I don't sit. I try not to sit. Um, I, I pace a lot. I pace if I'm on the phone, I'm walking around. Um, if I'm in meetings, I don't like to sit, but I notice that that probably makes You've people uncomfortable a, a lot while, of times. So we'll yeah, I have been. After this. But, uh, you know, but, but I definitely move uh, a lot. I, I don't like to sit still. Um, and then, you know, I guess as an athletic outlet, I, I, I run. Um, it's, it's something that, you know, I've, I've thought about meditation and thought about, you know, mind body stuff so many times over the years. And I sort of feel like I'm getting a little bit older. I don't know. I probably am, you know, that would probably have yield positive results, but I, I just, I don't, I don't make time for it. I, I really should, but, um, yeah, squeezing in a run, you know, three, four times a week is ideal. 
Is there anything you're reading or watching or listening to that's interesting? Has that um, impacted on you lately? Any series, any uh, podcast, any book? I, I, I'm reading, uh, <laughs> I'm reading fiction right now, actually, mm -hmm. oddly. Uh, I'm reading a book about, uh, World War One and, and the, 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 the lead into it. It's, uh, you know, Fall of Giants by uh, Ken mm -hmm. Follett. It's, right. a, you know, right. an interesting book. I, I, I like his books. I like the, you know, the shifting perspectives and then the, you know, historical connectivity, I think is actually, I, I, I tend to take lessons even out of things like fiction, you know, that, that I think are meaningful for me in terms of the way that, you know, people connect across time and distance and, you know, I think that that particular book right now is resonating with me in terms of, you know, a lot of different people having a lot of different perspectives on the same things and understanding that, you know, that's the way the world is, you know, people see things differently. And, and, you know, so that that's, that's, it's been a good read so far. I'm not quite done with it, but, uh, that's what mm -hmm. I'm reading right now. Yeah. Yeah. What about uh series? What are you watching? Um, <laughs> I just finished, uh, the first season of, um, the politician on uh, Netflix. I don't know if you know it, but uh, heard of it. I haven't watched it. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's it's uh it's about a a young man who's uh you know convinced that he's going to be president of the United States and 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 then he goes through this arc of coming to grips with the fact that, you know, that that goal is is not there's not a linear path and and you know you 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 make mistakes along the way and you have to deal with that and and so good, a good story, uh, you know, over the first season and I just finished the last episode and it is, uh, yeah, it's remarkable in the way that it sets up a very exciting, what I hope to be a very exciting second season. So I'm, I'm enthusiastic about that. And then in the spirit of, uh, you know, my, I guess, apparent appreciation of historical fiction, I'm also, uh, finishing up, uh, the last, uh, latest season of Peaky Blinders right now mm -hmm. on Netflix as well. So yeah. yeah, I enjoy that. Yeah. So do you have a favorite date with your wife? Hmm. Good questions. Um, I have many favorite dates with my wife. I mean, we, we, I would say the one moment in my life that sticks out is sitting on a sidewalk in Paris uh, on the, oddly, the backside of the Louvre, you know, not near the entrance, but the other side, uh, you know, and, and sitting there all night and drinking wine and eating, you know, bistro food and that's a pretty Hanging good out date. with the people who, you know, sit down next to us, whoever they might be. And my wife is a, you know, good conversationalist and, you know, we tend to, we tend to gravitate toward other people who, you know, want to talk and, and that's a lot of fun for us. That sounds good. So what's your most inspiring day at Puma in your 20 years? Most inspiring day, you know, so for me, it's the inspiration comes from those moments when, you know, you just, you just, you get something done that you're like, this is something that's going to be here for a while. And I think that I feel like sometimes you can really feel that, you know, it's other times you can't, other times it's the, the mundane stuff that, that you look back on later and you're like, wow, that was really important. And I had no idea at the time. But, but sometimes but you sense it, right? Sometimes you sense yeah. it. And I think that, uh, you know, there that. was, there was a moment when, again, and I'd say in the, in the, in the writing of, or the composition of the latest, you know, this, this brand manual construct, there was a, I remember a very specific evening when I sat down and kind of jotted off this manifesto that was like, that's it. That's the spirit. That's the thing that we're going to be. And that script then ultimately became a video, which turned into the, you know, the brand manual. And that, that was a moment that I think is, stays with me as an inspiring moment for the brand. I don't want to end on a negative, but what's your worst day? I would say that worst days have come in moments when you, you have to make really hard choices. You know, a lot of that revolves around people, mm -hmm. you know, people that you know and that sure. you love and that you really appreciate that, you know, for whatever reason, they, they, it's the fit isn't right. And you got to tell them that, you know, giving really tough feedback, I think is, is a hard thing to learn how to do. I actually think that, you know, I, I, I've had fewer very, very hard days in the last year or so, because I feel like I've learned that it's better to be just straightforward, clear, come out with the message. You know, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Moneyball, but mm -hmm. the, but the, the, the Billy Bean character in there, mm -hmm. you know, in that moment when he talks about, you know, this is how you have to fire somebody and this is what you do. He's like, you know, yeah, Jim, yeah. you've been traded to Chicago, you know, right. <laughs> they've got some paperwork for you in HR, right. you know, whatever. Just That's, get and you get yeah. to the point because nobody wants to, you know, nobody wants to spend time dwelling on negative. Mm -hmm. That's the, it's just, that's, and yet I think there's human nature in that drawing out and avoidance of the negative. Sure. And the faster you get 
to it's good for everyone solving it, the better we are all going to be. Yeah. My, my, my boss says a lot of the time, he's like, the second you start to feel in your stomach, something's there. Like, this is not right. You're right. Trust it. Trust, it. trust yeah. that and, yeah. and, and, and focus on that and then address it. You know, and, it, and I mean, the, the old saying that, you, you know, you never tell any lies, you never have to remember anything. It's, it's, it's kind of mm-hmm. a truism that I think, you know, you just, you just stay the course with what you mean and just be clear about it. And, and maybe you'll avoid some of those bad days. Yeah. So last question, who else would you like to hear in the CMO podcast? Who would be interesting and meaningful for you? That's a really good one. Um, I, I have a particular person in, in mind that I'm thinking of right now, and I have no idea whether you'd be able to land him, but I will tell you that, that one of the sharpest brains that I have had the great pleasure to work with is Jay-Z. And he is, uh, he is an incredible well, we'd incredible love to have him thinker. on. So, yeah, right. yeah, right. I mean, and, and he's an, he's an incredible thinker, and he's he is he's one of those people who writes emails like poems. You know, I mean, he's really really thoughtful, considered, great leader. You know, knows what he wants. I think you know, he probably avoids a lot of those bad days by by crushing it. And uh, I have learned so much from him that has fed a lot of what we've done in the last couple of years. Even before we were working together, you know, directly as the indirect influence of working with his companies for, for many mm-hmm. years that, that have, have had a big influence on where Puma is right now. So I got to give him a lot of credit. And I think he's got a very sharp brain for, you know, obviously business and leadership and management, but also, you know, creativity and thinking about things that in a different awesome. way. Adam, you've been awesome. This Thanks. has been a blast. Thanks. Thank you. And continue great uh, momentum I'm, I'm, on this amazing I'm brand. appreciative and honored that you even would uh, sit down and talk like this. Uh, so thank you for including me. It was great fun. Yeah, thanks. That was my conversation with Adam Petrick. What I just loved about this guy, this leader, is his honesty, his humility, his quickness to admit mistakes. And I also loved how he spends his time as the head of marketing at this very hot brand. He walks around a lot. He's on his feet. He's never sitting. He's talking to people outside the company, inside the company. He's talking about creativity, ideas. He's talking about the brand. So I think it's a role model for how someone as a chief marketing officer can also be a chief cultural officer. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.